You're listening to Eye on the Ball with Steve Rivera. This podcast is a Bustos Media production on The Voice. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Eye on the Ball. I'm Steve Rivera alongside Jay Gonzalez, and you're listening to 1030 The Voice. I almost forgot who I was, Jay. <laughs> I think that's a good thing. Well, with one every day looking like the next, it, uh, it's it's hard to get, it's easy to get confused. What year are we in? Well, we're, I, I mean, is it still March? That's my question. Hey, that's that, that was an awful month. Hey, you know what? We've been talking about this since you've joined the show. One day, good news. Another day, not so good news. Another day, good news. I think today was a good news day. I think it was a good news day. Um, the, the first thing that, that I think affects uh, everything, and w- one of the big questions that, uh, as it relates to college football, was what was the UC, the University of California system, going to do? Uh, because that included UCLA and Cal. And if those two teams weren't going to be playing football, uh, how is that going to affect not just the Pac-12, but the entire country? And uh, today, our, our former governor, who is now the president of uh, the University of California system, Janet Napolitano, came out and said that every campus is going to be open and offering instruction. It, it's going to be a hybrid like everybody else, but there's going to be students on campus, which I think opens the door for them to be able to bring athletes on campus. And uh, bigger news, too, or just as big news, June 1, it looks like people are going to start to be able to go on campus and start to work out in in, uh, I'm using air quotes now, um, mand- not mandatory, but workouts. Well, yeah, um, the, voluntary the, the NCAA is going to open it up for voluntary workouts on June 1. So they're going to end the, you know, the moratorium of keeping people off campus. So players will be able to start coming to campus and doing some workouts. Uh, now, you know, none of it can be required. But we all know what that means when you're talking about, you know, athletes, mm-hmm. the expectations that coaches have. But, um, you know, t- uh, teams and coaches and whatnot are going to be back on campus. Right, right. No, that's good news. Uh, today was just a good news day where there's a lot of hope. There is. And and, and one of the things that I, I don't think we, we, we can overlook is what's going on, you know, locally at the University of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, President Robbins today uh, introduced a plan uh, to to put a reentry plan together. And uh, leading that is going to be uh, Dr. Richard Carmona, who's been the Surgeon General. He's a local guy, born in the Bronx, but he's been living in, in Tucson for a lot of years. His credentials are impeccable. He's done everything, all everything mm-hmm. from being a cop, and he's a doctor. And uh, I, I don't think that we should overlook what resources we have in Tucson to manage this. And really, what you see is the U of A kind of showing the way right, to right, how right. to do this. And Dr. Carmona's job is going to be to build the reentry plan within the parameters of, of doing it safely and to also... Uh, the the way in, in watching the press conference, what I heard him say is, "I'm going to figure out a way to do this, but then it's going to have to be within the the, the, the restrictions the restrictions that we have." And that's his job is to build a plan, and then let's see if that plan can work with the restrictions that we're going to have. Right. No, it's kind of comforting that Arizona, the University of, is kind of like the beacon of hope well, well, to get yeah. stuff going on. Well, again, you have you have a doctor leading the re- re- uh, re-entry plan and you have a doctor leading the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those are two of the smartest guys on the planet as far as I'm concerned. I've met <laughs> both of them. I've interviewed both of them. They're both really smart guys and we've got them here and, and I, I do think that there are other places that are looking to see what's Arizona doing with these guys in charge and how are they going to pull this off and are they going to be a model for everybody else? Right, so you're looking at June. The guys will be here uh, and July they'll definitely 
definitely be here as they get ready for the season in, in late August. It sure sounds like it. And, you, you know, um, we're, today our, our guest today is Yogi Roth, the Pac-12 Networks analyst. And he did four uh, webinars last week, one each day with three coaches. And they spent a lot of time talking about how things are going. That stuff's already kind of outdated. Right, right. And, and you <laughs> right. know, because at that time they didn't know what the University of California system was doing. This thing with at the U of A just came up today. In in the last twenty four hours, mm-hmm. the the NCAA has announced that teams. So all that's you know all this has happened just since those webinars. But we still we're still going to talk to Yogi about football, and that's right. what I want to do. I, I want to talk to him about. F- Okay, let's talk about the football. Yes, everything's affected and and up in the air because of because of the virus. But let, let's start talking about what right. football might look like. Right. I want to talk to him. I'll pick his brain about some of the coaches, his impressions on some of them. But let me first get to this. You've been here about 10, 10 days, 10 shows. Uh, we had some very good shows. Francona, uh, Kerr yesterday that was very popular. Other shows. If, if people don't get to listen to us live... They can go to the podcast. It's done very, very well in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so if you miss it, you can catch it later. Right. Um, so that helps with us, and I'm sure you'll like the interviews. You know, put it put it on your phone as you're, as you're hitting the sack, and we'll put you to sleep, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I've bored many people before. <laughs> but, you, you know, the, the the interviews are great. You can kind of skip around, and and, and if, if you're looking at, the, you know, the, the interviews that we've done with, for instance, Kerr and Francona and those guys, we kind of talk about the issues of that if we get them for half an hour – we talk about the issues of the day. You know, with Kerr, we talked about you know, things going on in the NBA, his coaching career, all that kind of stuff. But then we try and also, you know, spend we'll the second half of back. the segment <clears throat> back to talking about, you know, just st- some storytelling. Talking, mm-hmm. you know, what's your history? What are things going on? We talked about Steve Kerr's uh, one-game baseball career here in Tucson. Right. Uh, we talked about Terry Francona, and, you know, he talked about his his career at Arizona and how, you know, some of the things that he wishes he had done differently. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Greg Burns. So, you know, we, we kind of, it's, it's organized in a way that you can kind of pick and choose what you're listening to. Right. You can also watch us on YouTube, although, you know, both of us are highly unshaven right now, so I don't know that that's, that's any better, but, you know, you can put the podcast on your phone. You can listen to it anytime you want while you're cooking dinner. It doesn't help us that we have a good looking TV guy coming up. The good thing is he's not in the studio. Exactly. <laughs> well, we, yeah, we can't show him. Yeah. <laughs> we can't show him. Two knuckleheads like us, but that's good. I mean, we're doing, it's, we're yeah, doing okay. it's, it's, it's great. And we, you know, we're, we're happy that people are listening and we hope you keep listening. We're going to try and keep bringing the guests that the quality of guests that we, that we've been bringing the last couple of weeks. And, and we're going to go. So half hour with Yogi, you can call in, of course, seven, I know two zero four zero, but in the final 15, 14 minutes, we're going to get uh, a segment here. You were talking about what you wanted to it's talk about. 520 day, cause it's 5-2-0 day because it's yeah. May 20th. So 5-2-0 day. So all over social media, you know, there's been polls and questions and things. You know, what's, what's your favorite Tucson sporting event? What's your favorite Tucson sports memory? stuff like that. We'd love to hear from everybody out there. What was yours? I'm just going to tell you right now, mine's a throwback pretty far back uh, because I think it changed a lot of things here in town but um, we'd love to hear what uh, you know what what our listeners have have in mind in terms of what's their favorite uh, sporting event uh, it might have been a specific event or just a memory maybe something you did in Little League or a coach that you had or something that you love about Tucson sports okay great 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 uh, so there you have it there's a lot of a lot of things going on uh, tomorrow Bob Baffert tomorrow Bob Baffert I'm excited to talk to Bob um 
you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what's going going to happen in the Belmont Stakes next month. I'd I'd be really curious to know. I don't know if he's you know the kind of guy that'll give us a tip or two, but uh, <laughs> you know he'll probably say my horse is going to win. But he's got two very good ones. Well, I'll tell you what, it's it's never a bad bet no. to bet on a Baffert no, horse. No, no. And, uh, you know, the the few times that I've been to the horse races where he's had a horse running, I just always bet on him sure, no matter sure. what. It's a bit chalky, but but guess what? It, it is. returns. It is. It returns. You know what? I don't care how much I win. Yeah, if exactly. I win, cashing a ticket <laughs> is one of the greatest feelings in sports. Very much Even so. if it's a, you know, a 220 show ticket, <laughs> it's the greatest feeling in sports to go to the window and cash a ticket. <laughs> uh, 210, I'm not too sure, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. Hey, let's take the break right now. Come back with Yogi Roth on the other side here on 1030 The Voice. Time to update those old kitchen cabinets? Call the Window Depot today. The Window Depot is not only the number one warehouse for windows and doors, we now have a great selection of kitchen and bath cabinets at Tucson's best prices. The Window Depot is Tucson's top spot for granite and quartz countertops to finish the new kitchen or the replacement of that old worn out Formica. So call us today at 290-8545 or 622-6430. The Window Depot, windows, doors, granite, and new kitchens. Hey, welcome back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm Steve Rivera alongside Jay Gonzalez. We're waiting to hear from Yogi Roth from the Pac-12. So, and we'll talk sports, of course. Uh, a lot of things going on. There was something that was interesting to me. It'll come to me in a second. Have you seen the um, the way too soon top 25 basketball? For like next year? No. Arizona's no part of it. ASU is, which is the world is going to end. Well, you know... <sighs> I mean, it, 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 I guess, you know, the U of A has got to, you know, pick it up a little bit. And, and even, and Sean Miller, even in, in that, um, podcast? that podcast with uh, Steve Kerr and Matt Muehlbach, I mean, he said, you know, he, he said, you know, it's been a tough couple of years, and, but we feel like we're climbing out of it. So the fact that he used kind of that word that we're climbing out of it suggests that they were way below where, where he expected them to be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think Arizona is one of those schools that you just always think they're going to be good just because they've always got pretty good players. Now, right. they, you know, they, things may happen in the, in the course of a season to, to uh, you know, it, it doesn't turn out very well. Two years ago, they weren't even in the tournament. So I don't know. Um, I, I think you kind of always got to give, believe that they're going to be good enough to be one of the top 25 teams in the country. I, I, yeah, that you just do. Right, right. Yeah, you don't get caught up in that, do you? Do I know now? In well, May, especially June. especially now with college basketball, because in the end, you know, it really doesn't matter that much where you are. Right, right. You know, it's where you wind up towards the end of the season, mm-hmm. get a good seed in the tournament, and you know, and then and then have at it. I mean, you know, it, it seems like. If Arizona's not ranked, you know they'll get ranked right. if, if they that, if they're doing well. That's how it was in Lutz time, right? You're, guess what? By November tenth, they're already in the top ten, right? And so, so that so that's what happens. I think that you know that's what teams teams kind of do. It'll it in in college basketball because of the tournament, it always figures itself out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and and the right teams generally get into the tournament, and then usually the right team wins the tournament. Yeah. Let me ask you, you were in the business for a long time, a few years back. Uh, I absolutely, and people know me, I absolutely hate recruiting. Hate recruiting. It's a passion of mine that I hate recruiting. Well, it was funny because, you know, in the time that I was covering sports, covering recruiting wasn't as big a deal Mm -hmm. um, with football and basketball. Uh, I mean, you had to cover it to a degree. You know, I, I had to cover the recruiting of Michael Bates. And, you know, he was a 17-year-old kid playing at Amphi High School. He lived in an apartment basically across the street from the high school. 
And I would sit out there and want, wait for him to leave school so I could go find him. And there was nothing I hated more than that. I'm like, yeah, I'm 20 some years old. And I mean, I haven't been in this business for a long time. Right. But the fact right. that I've got to follow this 17 year old kid to get a all over the place to find out what, what he's going to do with school, it bothered me. Yes. And, and, and it really did. And, and then in, in college recruiting, um, you know, again, I only covered, I was only the beat writer on both of those sports for two years. So I didn't have to go deep into it. But, you know, there was a, a a little semblance of basketball recruiting too that I had to do too. And I remember I had flown to the to the Pac-12 uh, preseason meetings before the um, the '88 season, and I was on the same plane as Luke coming back. And as we're walking to our cars at the at the um, airport, at the airport, he hands me a piece of paper. He says, "Here, call this guy." And it was it was just a torn off piece of paper. It had Mark Georgeson's phone number on it, <laughs> and so I knew he had gotten his recruit, and that, uh, and I called him. Right, good. Now on the phone we have Yogi Roth of the Pac-12. Yogi, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? Great to have you on the show, Yogi. This is Jay Gonzalez. Yeah, we we wanted to spend some time actually talking about football, <laughs> you know, as oh, opposed. Oh, here we go. God, you know, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, anything we talk about is 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 kind of flavored by the stuff going on with with COVID. But you know, we're so tired of talking about that, and you you probably are too. And uh, I watched the webinars last week, and the reason we wanted to, to talk to you was just, you know, get some of your impressions of of the coaches. You know, you got to you got to spend some time with all four, all 12 of the coaches three new ones just uh, give me some of your your takeaways you know of, of the coaching of the coaches in the in the, the league what they're thinking about and how things are going with them it was really enjoyable for me you know i spent a lot of time preparing for it because it's not like when you just sit down with david shaw or kevin sumlin herm edwards like you know what you're going to ask Right, I could do that in my sleep, right? Like, you're going to ask about Davis Mills, Jaden Daniels, Grant Cannell. Like, you know what you're going to talk about, right? Right. Um, it's, it's way different when the three of them are there. And thankfully, the, the Pac-12 Networks, you know, one of our greatest assets is we get access. So I, I get to mm-hmm. sit in on meetings. I get to get to know coaches differently. So personality-wise, that, that was the dance that um, I had to prepare for. We, and, and I'll be honest, man, it was so fun. The coaches had a blast. They came on and joked with each other, talked with each other. If you were on early as a member of the media, and this part didn't make the public for the most part, but you saw them, you know, joking with each other and just talking about life in general. So I, uh, I had a blast. I mean, I can go on forever about every one of them, but fundamentally, it was a real joy to watch three leaders of three programs connect with each other and then talk about real stuff over the course of that time together. I don't know if you do this, but I do this as a reporter every now and again when you have these guys who are head coaches and you listen to them talk and you're thinking in your, you're listening to their answer, but you're also saying, this dude's a really smart guy. You know, you get the impression of their personalities or whatever. Did you think of that at all? And maybe who impressed you in that light? Well, everybody's been really impressive. I mean, I was at Kyle Whittingham's first press conference in 2004, which like, I'm like, dang, I've been doing this for a while now, you know? Um, but I think, you know, the new coaches, that's what stood out to me. Uh, Carl Durrell, probably the most, because he's the guy who I had the most limited interaction with. Only interviewed him a handful of times um, since he was at Colorado. I was coaching at USC when he was at UCLA, so I never got to be him. So to see him as comfortable as he was, and he's in, a, he's in the most challenging situation. We're just going to be blunt about it, right? In terms of when he came in, style in which he came in, you know, late in recruiting, and then COVID-19, like, he doesn't know his team. 
you know, thankfully he kept coordinators and some of the staff, so I think that's going to help them, you know, versus, uh, you know, if it was, it was a completely brand new unit there. But th- that, he was really impressive because I, I talked to uh, Josh Rosen and Patrick Laird, guys who played for the Dolphins, and they, they all raved about him and the hire was made about the type of man that he was. And, and one answer, you know, you can tell that he's that guy that's going to be there for a long time and players and parents are going to trust, and clearly he knows football. Well, it was interesting to me when they when they made the hire because, you know, and, and again, I, I don't know these guys, but when he got hired, when he got the job at UCLA and, and you just saw him, there were times when you just thought this maybe there was a little much for him. I mean, he, came, he brought a great team down here, an undefeated team to Tucson, and got crushed by a, a pretty mediocre Arizona team. And it, you just kind of, I remember seeing him on the sidelines in that game game and he would just he got overwhelmed that game but you know having seen you know how he handled the UCLA job versus you know the the conversation that you've been able to have with him can you see a big difference can you see is it was it already able to was the growth already uh visible can you see it from uh you know from the little bit of time you've had with him you're talking about coach Durrell right yes yes yeah yeah sorry I cut out for a second there um I, I think so you know, I really believe this, that when college, when pro coaches come to college, it's a huge advantage. I was around with Carroll, obviously the most intimate situation. I was also around with Dave Wonstadt when he came uh, from the NFL to the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, same thing here with Coach Shirell. Uh Same thing with David Shaw. You, know, you can kind of go down the list of guys. Jimmy Lake, when guys have had that experience in the league, I just think the issues that pop up on college campus, Herm Edwards, of course, an example – they're just not that big of an issue, right? Because nothing compares. And I couldn't – I wouldn't agree with this unless I spent a season with the Seahawks and Pete. I, I followed him for a whole year um, with NFL Films, his, his second or third year. And you, you see the pressure that these guys deal with. Like, it's so much different than college. I mean, it's, it's 100x. Here's my example. I was at the Rose Bowl, national title, Texas versus Alabama. This is Colt McCoy, way back in the day. He gets injured on the first drive. Might have been the first play. Right, in comes a freshman. Uh, Alabama ends up winning. I think that was uh, McElroy's title, and away they went. And I was standing next to Pete, and he was about to take the Seahawks job. Uh, and I said, "Aren't you going to miss this?" We looked around the Rose Bowl, and, and he had obviously owned the Rose Bowl. And he goes, "Yo, of course I'm going to miss it, but every Sunday in the league is like this." And I was like, "Really?" Like, kind of like my ears perked up. Like, NFL sounds kind of cool. Like, are you serious? And uh, and he's right, you know. So I think Coach Rowe coming back. Uh, Amid the pandemic, amid not getting to know his players, amid not having time with his staff, like he's so organized. And then you dive into it, and I've talked to members of his staff. He's done what everybody who comes back to college or gets their second shot at being a head coach has done. He's got uncompromising principles. You know, he'll tell his staff, well, I, won't, I won't flinch on this. And that, to me, is a, a great sign of somebody who knows what they're doing. Well, I've got, I've got a question. Who's got the advantage with the fact that none of these guys have had spring ball? The guys that... Ha, you know that that have been there a while, or the or these new coaches who are coming in and nobody knows what they're going to look like. I mean, is there is there any f- advantage for either one? Do they offset? I mean, who's got the advantage of everybody being unknown going into this season because nobody knows anything about anybody? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I would say Arizona State is the best advantage because I think they got seven or eight practices in, which was you know almost double any other team. Right, so I, I give them that they return not only a quarterback, but they return you know, pretty much their entire defense, you know, which, which is huge. Uh, so if anybody has it, it's them. I think among the new teams 
or just among the rest of the coaches, it's hard. Like you'd say Jimmy Lake has the best advantage of the first year head coaches, but he doesn't have a quarterback who's ever played. You know, Pete Sermon, or not Pete Sermon, um, Jacob Sermon, he's played a handful of snaps against like Hawaii and North Dakota State, I think. Like he hasn't really played. And he's got a new offensive coordinator. So that balances out for him. Great advantage. He knows the guys. He recruited everybody on offense, but never got to practice with them. And that state is going to be one of the last ones to open. So I, I think it's a tough question, uh, but you probably end up going with culture. And, you know, Utah, Stanford, Oregon have three of the strongest cultures right now in this conference. No question. Uh, let's go on a break real quick here at uh, 1030 The Voice and come back on the other side of the Yogi Roth. These days, most families are concerned with having the right insurance coverage. Protecting your family, home, auto, and other valuable possessions can be challenging and sometimes expensive. Crest Insurance gives you flexible options and solutions while saving you money. Insurance is not one size fits all, and at Crest, we find the coverage that's best for you and your family. Visit us online at www.crestins.com or call us toll-free at 888-881-5765. Hey, welcome back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm Steve Rivera alongside Jay Gonzalez. And on the phone, we have the Pac-12 Yogi Roth. Yogi, I'm curious, you've spoken to someone a number of times. You spoke to him again last week. What are, were your impressions with him? Does he feel more comfortable in year three? Oh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of him, to be honest. Um, you look back on it, and it's a big, big get, right, for Arizona. Kevin Sullivan could have easily sat out that year and gotten any job. You'd argue in the country when you look at the coaches that were, you know, in air quotes, free agents. And I think it took him uh, some time to you know, settle in. Obviously, that, I think that happens with every program to a degree. They had injuries, injuries they had issues, and not just with you know, Bill, but, you know, on the offensive front and some key positions. And now I, I just feel as though he's really, uh, he's really part of that community. You know, I think it takes, and Chris Peterson taught me this, his first year on the job at Washington, that it takes at least 18 months to build the culture. And and I agree with that wholeheartedly. And for some programs that don't have maybe the prestige that UW has, and I, and I don't say that I'm trying to slight Arizona. I just say that with, like, games won, Pac-12 titles, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I just think it took a little bit longer for him there. And I'm, I'm really excited to watch them this year. I'm excited for Noel Mazzoni. I, I adore Paul Rhodes. I played for him in college. I think he's a head coach anywhere in the country, and he shouldn't have left Iowa State, or he should have left Iowa State when the opportunity, but he stayed loyal to that program before he ended up getting let go. So it's a, it's, it's a big move by them, and I, I think Coach Sumlin was as comfortable um, you know, with everybody as I've seen him. He's always been great with us, um, and with me in particular, and uh, it, was, it was fun to have him on with the other two coaches because I think they all had a good time. And out of all the, all the four days, that was the one that had the question mark where you're like, what's this one going to go like? And Dave Hirsch and I were talking about it, like Wilcox, Cristobal, Sumlin, I don't know. And uh, it ended up going great. Well, I, I, you know, when, when you talk about Sumlin, he was a good get. I mean, it, it, arguably he was a guy that everybody in town wanted. Um, you know, it didn't go so well the first couple of years, and I think a whole lot of that was, you know, the Khalil Tate factor and what was going on there. And, you know, who knows what, what all that was. But um, it, it, he did seem a lot more comfortable to me in the in the webinar last week than maybe he had he had seemed other times and it may just it may just be as simple as that but um i, I want to ask you you know having been a coach you know they're basically going to condense every, everything that they normally would have done in the spring 
to you know cram it into the fall in strange times with you know there's probably going to be a lot of strange ways that they're going to have to practice and be around each other how hard is that going to be you know i heard kyle whittingham say you know we've got three quarterbacks and we're going to have to narrow down to two right away you know that's something that they kind of would have been able to take a good long look at in the spring and they can't do that now what's going to be some of the effect of all of that and how these guys are going to be able to conduct camp to get ready for games well it's going to be fluid right that's the word that every coach to a t used you know, i got off a call today with commissioner scott and everybody we had an all staff meeting at the conference and the networks and what was really cool about that was that we learned that you know, when the conference commissioners talk every morning the people that are leading the conversation are is our conference because of the schools that we have, Arizona and what they're doing with testing on campus specifically. Stanford, obviously the pedigree there, Washington, UCLA, USC, on and on and on. These, you know, medical departments are leading the charge around the country. So we can hear from, you know, other people around the country, whether it's on ESPN or other platforms taking shots at the Pac twelve and the reality is is the Pac-12 is, is leading the dialogue um, and leading how coaches are going to deal with it, in my opinion. And I think it's just going to be fluid. I think they're going to figure it out as they go. The one thing I do know, though, is that I, players not only are itching to get back. You know, I just sat in on a team meeting with Arizona State. It's going to air uh, Thursday night on the Pac-12 network. It's, it's awesome. I got to sit in with Zach Hale, their OC, Jaden Daniels, Herm, the whole thing. Take you inside how guys teach. And when I, a big takeaway for me was, Guys are chomping at the bit, and I think we're going to have the tightest teams in recent history in college football. Like, think about it. There's so much divisive uh, uh, divisiveness in college football because of Instagram, because of branding, because of you know name, image, and likeness will be coming up. There's so much on on teams that now guys are like, I just want to practice, I just want to play. So I think coaches, I don't think it's going to be hard. I think they're going to have to take care of guys' bodies, um, and I think they're going to have to trust their players that when they say, hey, let's let's go and maybe practice isn't 22 periods you know in mid-august it's 12 because they haven't done it in a long time then the kids have to bring it and i think they will i really do and i think our coaches are going to lead the way in those discussions uh, around player safety amid returning to campus jay and i have been talking about this daily it changes the the line in the sand changes almost daily uh, i'm sure two weeks ago how did you feel did you think they were going to come back in time and what do you think now i think it's more positive now but do you still think that it's going to be a full schedule or maybe a uh, a change schedule you know i don't know man i don't know i i, I wish i could answer that <laughs> i mean of course what do we hope we hope right. the full schedule i <laughs> hope uh, Alabama and SC play in Texas, right? I hope that Michigan travels to Seattle. I don't care if there's fans there or not. I hope that Oregon plays Ohio State at home. But what I don't hope is that one of those teams leave their footprint and either catch coronavirus, have coronavirus, spread coronavirus. Like I, I think there is something to the regionality, you know, at least from everything I heard today on the radio. Sounds like the NBA is taking everything to Disney. You know, Disney World in Florida or Disneyland, whichever one it's called, um, to play there. You know, like college football is not going to necessarily do that. At least I can't imagine it. But I think there's something to what's paramount. It's playing the most games, right? What's paramount is the, the health and safety of the student athletes. Next is playing the game. So, you know, not only we get the game that we love, but to be blunt, right, these universities can survive, right? And it's an interesting time, and I think that's a really tricky balance between those two things and, and everything on the West Coast, nobody's putting health and wellness above games and 
TV money. And I don't think anybody's doing that in the country, um, but at least as a fan base, I think that Pac-12 footprint is very aware of like, hey, let's do what's right here versus screw it. We're rolling into Tuscaloosa. We don't care. Um, which is just, you know, maybe to be expected, definitely embarrassing for everybody who doesn't think that way in that community, but maybe that's just something we get used to. Well, we, we did talk to Greg Byrne on uh, on Tuesday, or was it Monday? Oh, Monday. Nice. What did he say? Well, well he, you know, he said all the right things. He said, you know, because I, you know, I posed a question. I said, you guys are, it sounds like you guys are going no matter what. And he, you know, he, we're, you know, we don't want to leave everybody behind. We're going to, you know, everybody's on the same page and we're all kind of in this together, you know, and, and maybe they are, but, uh, you know, who, who knows? But let me ask you this, you know, when, when they hit the field and, and games start being played do you see this as a year where the quality of the coaching staff and the job that they do is going to be is going to make the biggest difference i mean where there may be times where best players you know aren't going to necessarily win games because of all the things that have led up to this season and the jobs that the coaching staffs had to do to get their teams ready do you, do you feel like coaching is going to have even bigger impact this year or is it going to be the opposite, you know, you, you're going to throw your guys on the field and everybody's under the same, you know, had the same amount of time to work on this. And if you've got the better players, you're just going to win games. No, I mean, look, granted, like if Alabama rolls out there against Kansas, they're probably going to win if they practice one day or, you know, six weeks. I mean, we all get that. Like there's definitely a, you know, like Kai Whittingham said, like there's a lot of inequities in college football that we could talk about for a really long time. Right, right. Uh, but I think to your point, it's the staff, and, and it might even be the support staff. Like, when I vote for Coach of the Year, uh, it's probably going to be, like, what medical department kept their players the safest. You Because know, it's going to be about and that, – that's why I love the Pac-12. Like, I, I, I appreciate what Greg Byrne said, um, but clearly there's backtracking, and that's happened in a couple places. What has the Pac-12 done is nobody stepped out in front of anybody else. And there's been a great unity. And that's why I think the calls were so good a week ago. And that's why the Pac-12 conference is leading all the calls of the commissioners every morning on the medical front. Because they're just connected. And, and they have said, like, hey, we're, we're kind of rolling. We're in this together. Like, I get the different states have different rules. But at the end of the day, like, what are we talking about here? Right? We're talking about, you're still talking about sports. Um, and I think all those decisions will eventually make themselves. But to, answer, to, to actually answer your question, I think the staffs that – keep their guys healthy and keep them engaged and keep them connected it's going to be the best because here's an option that may may happen let's just say that i don't have a schedule in front of me but arizona plays usc let's pretend it's mid-season because i don't know when it is and somebody from usc has COVID 19 a long snapper well there's a world where both of those teams have to be quarantined for two weeks so how does the coaching staff the academic staff the support to keep their guys engaged you know keep them fit if that is an answer to when someone gets it, because that's still the thing that hasn't really been talked a ton about, of when someone gets it, how do we deal with it? And I think college football is going to learn from the NBA, Major League Baseball, other leagues around the world in that regard. Uh, but th- that's going to be the MVP. It's, it's going to be the staffs that are so connected, so united on everything. Because guys, they, they fall through the cracks, right? We, we can read all the articles about the public school system and how, like, this is this is unfortunately take an opportunity away from you know, some underprivileged individuals all over the world because of this. It's going to be the same thing in football. Some guys are just going to fall through the cracks. So that's going to be the challenge of these staffs. And, and I, you know, I got full confidence in the Pac-12 staffs to, to keep it connected, but that's going, to be, that's going to be a challenge. There's a lot happening, right? Recruiting, 
game planning. So I think game plans will probably simplify. Execution will be a premium. I hope the recruiting calendar shifts, but again, it'll it'll be it'll be dramatically fluid. And I hope the NCAA and the CFP and ultimately ESPN, who you know you can't really argue they don't they run college football with all the money that's in it. You know, I, I hope they're fluid with the with the rules and the restrictions and all the things that kind of come about within college football that gets going. Yogi, we've got about a minute left, but I'm curious. You used to play the game uh, at a Division One level, Pittsburgh. How would you feel about coming back in under under these circumstances? Well, I was crazy. I would have came back no matter what. You know, I would have been like, well, I got a chance to play. Let's go. Um, but as a parent now, right, right, and it, it changes. I talked to uh, a parent of an Oregon athlete today. I talked to Kale Millen's dad, Hugh Millen, who played quarterback at UW and the Hall of Fame there. I asked him that exact question. And he said it's hard. You know, like, you got to trust. You got to trust. You know, and, and that's, that's why I hope everybody in college football does the right thing. Right? Like, let, let's hope we don't see somebody hide a corona test. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like you could, exactly. in my day, you hit a concussion potentially, yeah. right? And I don't expect that to happen. Um, but I would want to play. I, I don't think players have a ton of like. I don't think they're thinking that far down the road. I think they're like, all right, as long as I get tested, I'm cool. Like, let me go ball. Let me go do my thing. Uh, the, the guys who my heart breaks were high school seniors. And I hope they move high school football to the spring and thus move signing day to give guys a chance that were 150 pounds last year but are 180 pounds now, finally had a growth spurt and could play outside backer. They played tailback, and they could be a power five player. But they won't get a chance because there's been no spring recruiting, and, of course, there may not be a season for some of these guys. So that's, that's kind of where my heart goes. Yogi, we really appreciate your time. We hope you can come back soon. Anytime. We'd love to have you, man. Being a little late. We we got to get you yeah. back so you can tell us who's going to win the Pac-12. Right, right. That was Yogi Roth. Training camp first. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. we'll we'll give you that much. <laughs> thanks, Yogi. Right, thanks. Appreciate thanks it. That was Yogi Roth of the Pac-12. Here on Ten Through the Voice, we'll get back to you on the other side. For nearly seven decades, Hughes Federal Credit Union has been there for its members through good times and bad. We know that by working together, we can achieve great things, like addressing your financial needs during these uncertain times. We're available for you by phone or online, via our website or mobile app. Our drive-up windows are open, and we're available to help you in our branch lobbies by appointment. We've got your back, today, tomorrow, and for decades to come. Visit HughesFCU.org, insured by NCUA. Hey, welcome back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm Steve Rivera alongside Jay Gonzalez here on a Wednesday afternoon. We, you know what? I didn't acknowledge you, Tom. I'm sorry about that. Are you awake over there? I am awake. I'm, uh, I, I got to my coffee a little late, so I was a little yawny today, but I'm good. Let me ask you something. You've heard all this optimism today. Uh, Mr. Cranky Pants earlier this week. Are, are you <laughs> still Cranky Pants? I'm always Cranky Pants, first of all. Second of all, you know what? Uh, Yogi brought up a point, and it's something, Steve, I never thought of until he mentioned it. What if somebody hides a test? That's That was... I, I laugh because it could happen. Oh, sure it could. And that's frightening. Yeah. yeah. That is... That is... That's that's really scary. <laughs> I, did you think of that? I hadn't thought of that. No, you know what? He was making my head spin with everything else. I mean, I, I didn't think of that. It's true, though. It's... In today's world... 
who knows? God, this is boy. big business, guys. I it don't is. care what anybody says. No, you're right. You, see, you are still kind of the uh, yeah. No, I'm always a cynic. Always. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm glad we have you. Just stay in your corner over there. That's right. <laughs> Get <laughs> off my lawn, yeah, Steve. Don't come over on our side. <laughs> no, but it's true. Hey, so go give give me your idea, uh, Jay, about the best times in Tucson sports. Well, you know, we we've been talking about you know today's May twentieth, so it's five two zero day in Tucson, and people have been, you know, on social media and everywhere talking about their. Uh, uh, you know, their f- best sport, you know, best sporting event they've ever been to, or best sports memory, or whatever. So I- I'm going to throw this out, and would love to have get get some, a caller or two to to give us theirs. But um, uh, you know, as everybody knows, I've, I've I was born here, I've lived here all my life, uh, been going to U of A football games since forever. Um, I mean, I I remember going to U of A football games before the upper deck on the east side was built. So that's how that's how long wow. I go back. Are you but, sure you're just sixty? <clears throat> I'm only 60. Look, I just have a good, I have a good, you know, my memory is great from a little kid up until about that's, five years ago. And it, now it's all fuzzy that's again. From, all you know, the last five years have been kind of fuzzy. <laughs> right, to me. Right. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the 1982 U of A ASU football game. And the reason being that, um, for me as a, as a, as a sports fan in this town, that's where I think things kind of started to turn and Arizona became a, a, uh, you know, I mean, we it started to, to started to dominate ASU in football. Lute Olson arrives a year later, and then the whole basketball thing starts. And I feel like that 1982 season was where things sort of flipped over, and it became a good thing to be an Arizona fan. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that and that earlier in that year, Arizona had beaten Notre Dame. At Notre Dame against, but a team that turned out to not be very good. That was that Larry Smith's first. That was year? Larry Smith's second, second year. year. Okay, actually, no, his third year. Okay, his his third year, and um, that 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 eighty two game, ASU came in here. They were they they had already uh, they they needed to beat Arizona to go to the Rose Bowl, and that was a time where you, you if you were an Arizona fan you just did not want ASU to go to the Rose Bowl before Arizona did, and all ASU had to do was beat Arizona that day, and Arizona was like a five and five team or something like that. Mm-hmm. They had they needed to win the game just to not have a losing season, and out of nowhere they beat. The you know what out of them. Yeah. I mean, they beat him. I think it was twenty eight eighteen. A couple of safeties, a couple of long passes, and then and you know ASU fans had come to the game and they were carrying roses and had them between their teeth and they had them in their hair. And where did uh, they have them after the game? And, well, it's funny because where, where we sat at that particular time, we were on the on the east on the east side of the stadium, section one hundred two. So we we're basically about the ten yard line on the on the north end, and there were some people right in front of us who were ASU fans and they were waving their roses in our faces and all that kind of stuff and at the end of the game with all the roses were on the ground in fact as I recall my brother who one of my brothers who tended to be a little tended to or still is well yeah he still is you know <laughs> tended to be a little uh Confrontational, let's say, uh, 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 and I, I remember him picking up a you know a handful of roses, snapping them in half, and throwing them at the Arizona State fans. Yeah, so That's you know good. that was so. That was good. But but to me, that was sort of a turning point for U of A sports in uh-huh. Tucson. Yeah, because now we you know we beat ASU, we we beat the best team that they probably ever had. Some people might say the '75 team was better, but that team was going to the Rose Bowl, and Arizona stopped that. And and like I said, the decade of the '80s in Arizona sports was a whole lot better just because of that. Yeah, no question. In fact, that game I've been here thirty some years now. You grew up in it. That game, you have no idea who's going to win that day. 
No, well, I, well, you know, at that time, I hated going to the to the U of A ASU football game. I I hated it because Arizona always lost. Mm-hmm. Um, they had only won a couple of times in my lifetime, and uh, and so you know, it, it it was. I still dread the game mostly because really? mostly I dread the fans. But up there or here, both, both. I mean, I go to the game here. I don't go to the game up there anymore. Okay. But the 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 thing of it is, is that if you if you're growing up here. In the 60s and 70s, Arizona always lost that game. Mm-hmm. It was awful, and it was no fun, and and that was where it kind of turned around. That 82 game was when the quote-unquote streak started, and Arizona either won or tied nine games mm-hmm. in a row. So, to me, that turned sports in Tucson around, and then, like I said, Lute came in and basically changed the city the with, culture, what, with, right. with what he did right. with the program. I mean, you know, if you're if you've lived in Tucson all your life, think about what this city would be like if we didn't have Arizona basketball. Oh. So everything changed You'd be in lucky. that couple of years. You'd be Albuquerque. <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> Sorry to tell you that, but you know, it's true. You wouldn't be the identity that you have. Yeah, you know, the, the, you know the Tucson's identity in, in a lot of respects. Yeah. Whether you're a sports fan or not, you feel better about sure. Tucson because of its basketball program. No and at question. that time, you also started feeling better about the U of A and Tucson because of the football program. Right, right. So that's why that sticks out to me. There have been a lot of other great sporting events and things that I've I've been to here. Washington. Washington um, the, the, the beating Washington when they were number one. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the big uh, Arizona basketball wins. So give me one right now because that's what I did for 30 years. And, and I have one. They all pale. They all pale because they're all been Big time stuff. Well, again, uh, you know, to me, when I think of a game that is that was great like uh, that, makes total sense. It's always a game that meant something for makes the long sense. term. Mm-hmm. And the game that I go to was that game they call the McShot, yeah, where where Arizona threw the lob pass, mm-hmm. McMillan picked up Craig McMillan picked up a loose ball and laid it in to beat Oregon State, right? And that was sort of the okay, we flipped it over, right? Oregon State is not the dominant team in the league anymore. Here comes Arizona, right? And and the rest was history. So uh, that game sticks out to me. And again, I was I went to that game as a fan. I wasn't a sports yeah. writer yet, and I remember being out of my mind at that game. At the end of that game, yeah, um, you know, I would I would have said that was one of my top five. Now, one another one that sticks out for me was in the nineteen seventy nine season, I believe it was, when Arizona beat UCLA here was in basketball. The, yeah, Larry yeah. Larry Demick, Joe Nels, John Smith. Wasn't it a back to back weekend when they beat was, USC they beat and UCLA and USC? Uh, and they did it on a. It was a. It was a, a, a Saturday Monday. And again, at that time, uh, the the Pac-10 would have a Monday night game. So it was. And UCLA came in here ranked number four. Mm-hmm. Um, they were still. UCLA. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't win a national championship, but they were still UCLA. They were they were ranked fourth in the country, and that that was a time as a student. Uh, he, he, you can tell you how far back this was at McHale Center. Three of the lower sections around the court was the student seating, and it was bleachers. And only one section, the section that's currently across from the bench, the lower section, that was the uh, the you know the higher higher paid seats. So the students had three lower sections around the court, and you had if it was a seven thirty game, they opened the doors at four. You had to get in line at two to get one of those seats, and it was general admission. So you got in and you ran down to the floor to get a seat on the in the bleachers. How'd that work? 
I always got one, uh-huh. and uh, 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 my best friend and I went to the game. We rushed the court when they won the game, and it was one of the greatest things that we ever did. You talked about the UCLA game. The USC game was a famous game because I think Nell's, whatever it was, it was the spaghetti game. It was the spaghetti company game, and it, it I think that was one of the games that led to them <laughs> going out of business because there were 15, th- at that time, because of the bleachers around the seat, right. the capacity was 15,000 and change. Yeah. And, and at the USC game, you got a coupon when you walked in the door for dinner at Spaghetti Company, and if they won, you got... And they, they, they won, they had to score over a certain amount of points or whatever? No, no, they just had to win. They uh, just had, I think they just had to win. Well, I don't know what it was. Whatever it was, everybody in the house got... Right. And I remember for weeks, you'd go to you'd go to Spaghetti Company, and half the people were using those coupons. Right, right. I remember because I've ri- written about it a few times. Yeah. But it was that weekend. It was that weekend. Back, back, back to back. To back. back. Right. You know, uh, that was... That was a, First time I ever saw the I Was There t-shirts, and we had, you know, there were red t-shirts. Yeah. I Was There, put the scores of the two games. Now they're towels, or they're not even out there. <laughs> no, but I remember that. That was, was a big win. My, there's so many games. You could talk about so many. The one that came to mind real quick was uh, Salim Stoudemire hitting over uh, Aaron Aflalo from deep. Oh, uh, but he just walked said, up and hit that. He said, I'm, you're not gonna, you can't guard me, boom, and it was over. So, And that wasn't a really big game. It was a good game. It was a great a game. game. And some, yeah. You know, some of those Duke games. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. You know, and all that stuff, sure, sure. but yeah. We'll get into the down the summer when we have the summer blues. Hey, good show today. Thank you. Tomorrow, Great Bob to have Baffert. Yogi Roth. Bob Baffert tomorrow. We'll get us some, a couple of uh, Belmont Stakes tips. Yeah, we got, a, we got a month left. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. We'll talk to everybody tomorrow here on 1030 The Voice.